welcome to Annie's Pink Chair, where we bring real, raw, relevant issues to the table from a woman's perspective with wit and wisdom. Now, ladies and gentlemen, today is going to be, for me, it was anyway, a day of wisdom. Do you ever feel like you are not enough? Have you ever felt like you just couldn't fit in? Like, for example, when I was growing up, I always felt like the odd ball out. And what I mean by that is my father and mother moved around a lot. My dad was in the Air Force. Now, even though he was no longer in the Air Force, it seems like my dad got like this fever to move around a lot. So because of that, one place he would go to, he wouldn't like it after two years or one year or three years. And he'd say, let's move. So we'd literally have to pack everything up They'd have to repurchase another house. They'd move, we'd have to move to a brand new school district. So for me personally, and my brothers and my sister, we had a hard time adjusting. Now, when you're growing up in that type of atmosphere, now let's add in the fun little uh, tidbits of the other information about my, my childhood is the fact that although I loved being a girl, I loved growing up in the Minnesota area and actually in Chicago as well, I had a private family life that was very, very on the surface looked normal. But my dad was an abuser. He abused my mother. He yelled at her a lot. He would hit her in front of us kids. He, he abused us children as well. And my dad had a lot of anger issues. So my dad had a lot of trauma and he was abused by his grandfather. So that just brings in this toxic atmosphere growing up. And then coupled with the fact that we had to go into brand new schools every couple years, I ended up going to, I think the last time I counted, it was nine, nine different schools. Anyway, trying to fit in to a brand new school is not easy. You're always the new person that walks in. Everybody stares at you. You know, I remember when I was going to my second, actually it was my third kindergarten school. Can we, can you believe my dad actually had us move three times while I was in kindergarten and I went to this place called Longfellow School and I walked in and I remember everyone staring at me because of course it wasn't in the beginning of the school year. It was like the, you know, the springtime or uh, of this, the second half of the year. And I was walking in and everyone turned to look at me. And of course, oh, look at the new girl. And I heard little whispers. Oh, she's so pretty. Look at her. And then, oh, I heard a whisper. Oh, she's like gross or she's ugly. So of course, what do we normally as humans gravitate towards first? We always want to hear what the bad things are about us. Did you know that the stats say that 10% of people aren't going to like you. Now that's a pretty good stat for the percentage. So that's like one in 10 people. They're just not going to like you. 10 in a hundred. They're just not going to like you. I don't know what it is now with today's crazy social media, but I do know this. We as human beings, because of our flaws and the sin in our lives and us wanting to hear negativity, we listen to that part of people's opinion of us. We do. And I gravitated towards, oh, what did they say about me? In other words, the reason why I think that I did actually was listening to any bad thing that was said about me or, or thought about me 
even in my own brain is the fact that, hey, if I am this person, if I am bad, if I am ugly, if I'm not smart, if I'm, uh, I don't know how to do anything right, those voices in my head, other things I'm hearing from other people, if I'm that person, I want to fix that person. So the more that we fixate ourselves on trying to fix that person, trust and believe that what's going to happen is you're going to end up messing up because guess what? You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And the thing is, is that there was only one person that came to make our lives safe, right? And someone that loved us unconditionally, that loves us unconditionally. And his name for me at the time was Jesus. But I really didn't really understand his love back then as a little girl. I felt like that I could not do anything right. You know, like I said, thoughts would creep in my mind. I was never talented enough, experienced enough. I was, my sister was so organized and she was like a neat freak. And I was always like the person that couldn't keep it together. Well, what I didn't realize back then, and maybe just this is a word for you as well, is that there's different personality types and some people are doing 10 things at once and they're a type A, that's me, <laughs> okay? And my, my focus is on so many different things and maybe it's part of ADHD, I don't know, but that is also a personality trait that when you, you start something, there's, there's tests that you can take out there to test your personality. And I thought when I was a little girl and even as a teenager, that's a big flaw. Like I have a problem, like I can't keep myself organized. This list that I'm speaking of myself and the self-hate, I used to think that I was too slow, that I was stupid, that I didn't know how to say or pronounce my words correctly. Uh, I would get up in front of class when we had speech class for English and I would literally be blah, 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 blah. Words would come out of my mouth. I didn't even recognize what words they were because guess what? I was so insecure and so nervous, I didn't have the confidence that I needed to speak in front of people. And see, that stems from our own self-worth, right? And for me, I didn't feel like I was good enough. Again, you know, we, we focus on what we're not good at. Of course, we're not going to think we're good enough. And of course, these voices come in that are the enemy. It's not God's voice. It's these small little voices that whisper things that we tend to want to believe. And you guys, we have really have to think about what we're thinking about. It's very important that we do that. I was getting mad at God going to Sunday school. I would honestly think, you know, well, maybe God just created me this way. And yes, I had professed my belief in Jesus as a little girl, but I, I felt like, you know, for some reason, God, if he's a father, he was mad at me. If he was any picture of a father, he was just like my own father. And if you have a picture of your own father and some of you that I'm talking to right now through the lens and through the audio, you never had a father that you felt truly honored you, loved you, spent quality time with you. You know, our fathers are very important figures in our lives. And when our fathers are not present, even if they're there or they just ignore you or you're like, I remember feeling this about my father that he didn't have time for us kids. But the other thing was that we were like a bother to him. Like he was always telling us to be quiet, shut up. You shouldn't laugh during the television. 
you know, don't talk when you're eating, don't talk at the dinner table. So I always felt like what I said never mattered. And, you know, I think that I suppressed that needing of the attention and it actually surfaced. Some of you know my story later in my life. And as I became this growing, curious, you know, rebellious teenager, because yes, I was pretty mad at my dad. I was kind of mad at God. I was like, God, you made me this way. You made me so imperfect and icky. And so I went out into my teenage years as a party animal. Like I organized kegger parties and that was my way of getting like my attention that I needed. But also it made me feel like I was important in my class. Like I would pass out notes to say, give a dollar towards the kegger party. It made me feel important because I had no self-worth for me to, or, and plus I like to organize parties anyway in general. So it was just part of, you know, deep diving into my insecurity and then adding to the fact that the boys would pay attention to me because I was this little party animal. And what I didn't realize was one of the reasons why they were paying attention to me is because I was putting myself out there, dressing very sexy, flirting around a lot. They didn't know my daddy issues. They didn't know that I needed the attention of a man. And so I got myself into a lot of trouble as a young girl date raped. And you guys, to be honest with you, I cannot count, you know, on my hand, how many times that I woke up realizing that I had been raped because I had drank so much and I passed out and I woke up, you know, devastated thinking what happened while I was out of it. Self-reflection. When we self-reflect on all of our flaws and what we think we should be and what we are not makes us feel shame-filled. It makes us feel depressed. It makes us feel like we have to prove ourselves. You know, this is the other thing. This is why I actually went into the sex industry because I had three jobs and I wanted to make a lot of money because I thought if I had money, I could definitely prove myself to my father that I was going to be someone important and I could prove to the world and the people that had seen me in school, people that always thought I was not good enough, or so I thought they were thinking that, that if I had money and I was successful being a corporate businesswoman, stacking my money, I would maybe one day be loved and respected. That's what I thought it took. I didn't realize that people... When you have incredible success in the corporate business world or incredible success in your monetary bank account, that people aren't going to really love you for that. They might love what you do and they might love the money that you made, but they'll, that's not the reason why they would really love you if they're going to love you. And for me, that was just a cover up. It's like putting on a, a, a beautiful outfit, a designer outfit, making myself look good, wearing that designer purse, putting my foot into that designer car, right? The high-end car like a Mercedes or a Rolls Royce or even a Tesla because Teslas are pretty pricey and thinking, well, the car makes me, you know, the clothing makes me, I'm someone important and special. And so for me to understand, it's unfortunate what happened to me, everyone that I had to actually deep dive, quit three of my jobs, start stripping, start working at escort services in Minnesota and then Las Vegas. Bring my boyfriend at the time, by the way, he was a drug dealer, and tell him, you can't deal drugs anymore. Let's go to Las Vegas. And the first night that I worked in Las Vegas, of course, I found out the real truth of the 
money that I had in my hand and how great it actually was because it wasn't great, right? God didn't direct me to go sell my body. He didn't direct me to go take my clothes off. He didn't direct me to go sleep with, you know, hundreds if not thousands of different men on escort calls in Las Vegas, right? I got sex trafficked in Las Vegas and guess what? It lasted for almost a decade. You know, I look back at that time of my life, I was so insecure. I felt like the only thing that I had of value was the way that I looked and how sexy I could be. And I thought, yes, I swallowed the pill, the pill of the lie that if I do this for a living, I will own my own business, I will meet a very rich, wealthy entrepreneur man, and that I will somehow get out of this lifestyle and become that ideal corporate businesswoman, that ideal CEO that I've always wanted to be so that people will finally love me because I didn't feel loved by my own father and I didn't feel loved by Father God. I always felt God was judging me. I always felt my father was judging me. It's all I ever heard in church was the father this, the father that, you know, thou shall not do this, thou shall not steal, thou shall not covet, thou shall not commit adultery, thou shall not lie. And so I was like, man, God is just a God of rules. That's all he does is want to throw rules at us. I had a very skewed view of God. But let me tell you something. The night that I overdosed in 2003 changed everything. I believe that God was speaking to me even before this happened, even as a little girl. It says in Hosea 2.14, therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and I and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of Egypt. And can I tell you, when I was a young girl, when I was about eight and nine years old, I went through a really heavy, heavy trial. I was being abused by one of our neighbors sexually. And I was actually going to a Christian Lutheran school called Trinity Life. And I had an epiphany with Jesus at that time. And when I read these scriptures, it reminds me of that time in my life that God did speak to me in my youth. He did tell me, Jesus did tell me I was loved, but I chose to ignore his voice because it wasn't good enough for me. It didn't fill that hole that I needed in my heart to be filled. But when you get to the bottom of the huge well that you've been digging for yourself of self-worth, digging for diamonds, digging for gold and money and, and uh, uh, you know, authority and a great job and a corporate, you know, relationship and like making yourself important in the world, making yourself famous in the world, you know, being loved by and admired by so many people, that well that I dug, that I thought was in there. It was like a mirage in the desert. I got to the bottom of that well, and I'm going to tell you something. All I found was a hard rock, but that rock was the best rock that I ever found because that was the rock after all the layers got taken out, all the facade of the beautiful clothes, the beautiful houses and the cars and the bank accounts and the jewelry got taken down to that hard rock, that rock, the Gibraltar, the cornerstone, the beautiful hard rock of Jesus and the truth that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And you guys, that night, I literally surrendered my life fully, fully 100%. 
at the time I thought it was anyway, because it's a process, you guys. We're on a journey with Jesus, right? It's not always perfection in the beginning, and nor is it until we die, right? Until we see him in person. When we, we have left the tents of our bodies, we're not going to be able to be completely perfect until it says in the word, the perfect comes. But for the time it was, my surrender was beautiful. And let me tell you something. I literally camped on a couple scriptures. I honestly loved Romans. Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters, actually. And this one scripture in particular I have to remind everyone that's listening right now and everyone that's watching that I am worthy in Jesus. Not worthy in my job, not worthy in the clothes I wear, not worthy in the bank account and and the prestige and the youth and the whatever else I can have in the world sense of worthy, but worthy in Jesus because he is enough. I am enough because he is enough. His sacrifice on that cross. He gave us everything that we ever needed by dying on that cross, coming to this earth and being a sinless man, being the sacrificial lamb and reconciling our relationship from the father. The one that I thought was mad at me earlier. You guys remember my own father and then the father God. No, Jesus came to totally bring a bridge into that relationship so that I could finally believe and know that I was loved, that I was set apart, that I was chosen. And it says in Romans 8, 37, the one who loves us gives us an overwhelming victory in all these difficulties, right? So we're always striving. But if we know that Jesus is the one that gives us victory, it takes the works mentality away from our hands and our mind and our heart. And that we don't have to prove ourselves to anyone. You see, when you meet Jesus and his love and his mercy and his grace and his truth, it fills your soul with what you've been looking for. You see, my whole life, I was searching, searching, digging, going on expeditions, going on trips, trying to find my reason for living my life. If I just had the right car, if I just had the right ring, if I just had the right husband, if I just had the right career, if I just had the right vacation. Some of you need to go on vacation. But we're always looking. I was always searching. And until I found Jesus, you guys, what I didn't realize at the time is that he was there with me the whole time. When I look back and realize King David says this in the Psalms that he says that in the darkness, in hell, there you are, God, you're with me. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but literally when David said, if I lay my bed in hell, you in the darkness are there. And when I was selling myself, when I was chasing money, when I was chasing drugs, when I was chasing attention from men, Jesus was there the whole time just waiting for me to acknowledge that he loved me, that he had chosen me, that he has set me apart for a purpose greater than we can realize. And you know, it says, let's go back over into that scripture in Hosea 2, 14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness. What is your wilderness? 
my wilderness was looking for everything to fill those dead holes in me and realizing that there's nothing there. There's nothing there but Jesus. Speak tenderly to her. See, and that's how God speaks to us. More often than not, God is not going to scream in your ear and yell at you. He is going to speak tenderly to you. You know, he's going to call you his son. He's going to call you his beloved daughter, right? And maybe it's not his actual voice. It might even be just a still small voice in your spirit. And I remember laying on that floor that night that I overdosed and asking him, just please forgive me for the things that I, that I've been chasing. Just forgive me, God, if you just, Jesus, just give me one more chance in my life and I, I will make it right. And I swear I will turn it around. Jesus, I will turn my life around for you. And you know what? I could not take back that promise because I did it. And then it says here, there I will give her back her vineyards. So what? We're thirsty, right? What she was cultivating, right? He will give it back to her. He gave back to me everything and more in relationships, in you know, ministry. And yes, now I'm a CEO of, of the ministry. It's so cool how God can take something so tragic and so just terrible and such a terrible hurricanic proportion storm in my life and turn it in for good. And then it says, and I will make the Valley of Acre a door of hope. In other words, that valley that I thought was the end of myself, the valley of destruction, the valley of pain, death, and sorrow, <laughs> the valley of depression, of self-hate. You know, you guys, when I had that negative talk towards myself, I actually hated myself for a long time and I wanted to die. And I, in fact, the overdose was uh, pretty close to a, uh, a type of suicide for me because I had tried to kill myself a couple of days prior. So that's where God met me in that valley, the deepest, darkest valley of that well. And he picked me up. And then it says, there she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. Guys, coming out of Egypt's not easy. And if you don't know what that means, it's coming out of our old worldly ways, coming out of the way we used to think, coming out of the way we used to live our lives because we believe that everything, you know, was temporal and that we have to get all these material things and, and, and do all these things on earth because then, then our life's over. But it's not the truth. The truth is this, we live forever. And thank God for the gift of Jesus Christ. Because it says in John 3, 16, right? Whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night and he asked Jesus, are you the Messiah? You know, and Jesus, he said, how do you, how do you, how do you become born again? And Jesus simply said, you just have to believe. He said, whoever wants to believe. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but maybe you today are thinking about giving your life or surrendering, trying Jesus one time. You guys, I guarantee you, if you really surrender your life, it will never be the same. Jesus can literally become your door of hope. I know with me personally, it was my door of hope. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I feel 
Lord, that you wanted to talk to someone out there. And maybe this person's feeling like they're at that doorway of, of, of hurt. They're at that doorway of depression, low self-worth. They don't feel worthy. They, they, they feel like they hate themselves. They've done so many things they feel like they can't be forgiven from. But Lord Jesus, I want you to show them that you are their doorway of hope. And Lord, we just ask God that you would open up their eyes and open up their ears and open up their heart. And I'm going to ask you out there right now, as my friend watching this show, listening to this show, if you feel prompted in your heart, why don't you repeat this after me? This is a day of surrender if you want it. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. <laughs> and I ask that you forgive everything I've done. I believe that you died on the cross and on the third day you rose from the dead and you were resurrected to eternal life in heaven. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life. Guide me, show me. Lord, help me remember that in you I am everything and I don't need to prove my self-worth because in you, I am perfect. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, you guys, I'm gonna congratulate you. The angels are gonna congratulate you. You have just received eternal life with Jesus. And you guys, yes, life is not perfect. You're not completely perfect, but with Jesus, everything is because he is what's perfect. His blood covers everything. You guys, if this blessed you, I'd love you to share this with one of your friends that needs to hear it. You're not too far. You're not too far gone to be loved, to be cared for and chosen and accepted grace, mercy from Jesus. He loves you. And you guys, he is the best thing that can ever happen to you in your life. I know for me, for sure, that's what happened in my life. Thank you for joining Pink Chair today. We'll look forward to seeing you on the next Annie's Pink Chair. Hi friends, it's Annie Lobert from Annie's Pink Chair and I am actually on location at our nonprofit ministry called The Destiny House. And do you feel and see the presence that's going on here, the peace, the calmness, the comfort, the beautiful grass, the trees. This is what each woman comes to when she enters our Destiny House program for sex trafficking victims. I'm Nikki, I'm the Education Outreach Coordinator. Um, I've seen girls come in here and just broken, just in need of something. And we give them a gift box when they first arrive and then the look on their face, because their traffickers taken everything from them, the look on their face is just amazing and precious. And just watching them grow in Christ throughout their journey here is incredible. Would you please consider partnering with us monthly or just send us a one-time donation? Just go to our website at hookersforjesus.net and click on donate. And listen, your donation goes to a good cause and it's tax deductible. Thank you so much.